We'll be in 2 Corinthians 5 for today, so I'll give you a moment to turn there. And I'll pray for us before we start. Lord God, we do give you thanks and praise that we can come here as your gathered people. We thank you that you called us out of the darkness. You called us into your marvelous light. You called us into local churches. Thank you, Lord, that you're watching over your word. And we do pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to fulfill it, that you would build us up, that you would strengthen us, that you would convict us, that you would glorify your son, Lord. We do thank you that you are good, and we do pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Today matters for eternity. This is a quote that I come across almost every single day in my home, as it is written on big white letters on a pen case of all places. And even as I worked on this devotional, I looked over, and there it was, staring at me right in the face. I'm not sure about you, but I need to be reminded of this often. The older I get, the more time seems to be stuck in fast forward, leading me to forget how significant each day of my life is. And the sobering reality is that each passing day is leading us one day closer to that great day that the Apostle Paul speaks of in our verse for tonight, which is 2 Corinthians 5.10. It reads, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. From here, we will meditate together on two ultimate realities. The first will be the Christian's divine appointment. The second will be the Christian's future reward. And let's read from verse 1 to get the context. If we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made of hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, looking to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swaddled up by life. He, has who, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, who we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are good courage, and we rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The Apostle Paul's life and ministry was dominated by the reality of eternity. He ministered in light of it. He suffered loss in view of it. He walked by faith as he looked to the things that are unseen, which are eternal. We've seen this play out already in the first two chapters that Pastor Jeremiah preached earlier this year. Paul had endured much affliction, dealt with serious sin in the church, and face opposition to his ministry. And this would be enough to break down any minister of the gospel. 
But Paul knew that his aim was not to please man, but God. And he pleased God knowing that he would one day have to give an account. And this ultimate reality is one that everyone in this room shares, including me. Every Christian, without exception, has a divine appointment which awaits them. Paul tells us this in our first half of our verse, which reads again, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of those verses that if it was left up to me, I would have never, ever picked. It is a weighty verse. It is a challenging verse. It is a verse that can make us uneasy and uncomfortable. But here we are. And I do believe that it is a verse that we all need to hear. It is my hope that we leave here challenged, but also motivated to please our Lord even more. It is also my desire that we leave here not looking at the great day with despair, but with, hope, but with hopeful expectation. As we consider that day, I want you to take a moment and think about a couple of the most important dates in your life. Some of you might be thinking about your wedding date and all that went into it. From the invitations, you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were inviting 80 people. Why do we have 300 people? To the food tasting, should we get chicken, fish, beef? I don't know. From picking a venue, picking a dress, and the list goes on. Other of might be thinking about your last move and all the planning and work that went into that. My mind went to my flight last week to Cleveland where I had my trusty sticky note that I probably looked at way too many times to make sure that I wasn't forgetting anything. And as good as it is to prepare for important days in our lives, it is of the utmost importance to prepare ourselves for our divine appointment. And in order to help us prepare for this day, I would like us to reflect on two helpful perspectives. The first one is a Christ-centered perspective. As I prepared for this devotional, there was one thing that I wish would have been emphasized more in the things that are read, and that is Christ. As the verse does raise some important questions that we need to grapple with, we could not forget about him, as he is the one that we will appear before. He will be in the seat as the judge. But brother and sister, may we not forget that he is also our Savior, who has loved us with an everlasting love. A few verses later, Paul touches on this as he talks about how the love of Christ controls him and how for our sake he was made to be sin who knew no sin. The judge that we will appear before suffered the ultimate judgment that we deserved. Even as the spotless Lamb of God who had never once sinned, he received the verdict of guilty on our behalf. And not only that, but we also received his righteousness and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which verse 5 says is our guarantee. So, beloved, as we look forward to that great day, we must remember that we will be appearing before our Savior, our Shepherd, our Rock, and our Salvation. He is the all-knowing judge of all the earth who will do right, and he has never erred in any of his judgments. And having this Christ-centered perspective is key to preparing for our divine appointment as it reminds us that gospel truths have to instruct and motivate gospel living. 
We can look to the book of Romans and Ephesians as two examples where Paul drives home gospel truth after gospel truth before getting to his commands. And we can even look to the book of Exodus where the, where the Lord first redeems his people and then gives them his law. And it's vital to behold Christ first and foremost, as it is in beholding him that we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. A second perspective to help us prepare for this day is an eternal perspective. It has been said that this life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. As Pastor Paul has been preaching through Ecclesiastes, this has been one constant truth that has stood out for me, to me. Amid of all life's absurdities, we have seen again and again that this life matters. Our intentions matter, our motives matter, our actions matter. They matter for eternity. They matter as we will need to give an account to the Lord who will disclose all things. See, the word appear in our verse could also be translated as manifested or disclosed, which I believe helps us better understand our verse. The same word in the Greek, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, appears in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 where Paul says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose, same word, the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So in light of this, I must ask, are you living your life with an eternal perspective? I do believe we all need a sober reminder as the world, our flesh, and the devil want us to be spiritually asleep and only living for this life. Their goal is for us to be like the five foolish virgins in Matthew 25 who are not being watchful or preparing for the coming of the bridegroom. They became drowsy, fell asleep, and heard the dreaded words, I do not know you. My dear brother and sister, if this is you, and you are falling asleep or already knocked out cold, I exhort you to wake up. Wake up to the fact that you will one day appear before the Lord and have to give an account for your life. Wake up to the fact that your life matters and that tomorrow is not promised. Do not let ease, comfort, or the endless distractions that this world has to offer, offer seeing you a lullaby that will put you to sleep. But pray as Jonathan Edwards did, that the Lord will stamp eternity upon your eyeballs. And I come to you, not as someone who has perfectly achieved this eternal perspective, but someone who needs this wake-up call more often than I care to admit. And if you are sitting here and saying, Josh, that's not me. Well, I encourage you to take some time this week and examine your church, family, personal, and work life. Also take the time to examine how much time you spend on leisure versus how much time you spend on communion with God in word and in, his, and in prayer. It is sobering and it is all-encompassing. As we heard this morning, to be human is to fear God and keep his commandments. In doing this, we are living for eternity. And what we find is that his commands touch every area of our lives, even our deepest desires and innermost thoughts. It teaches how we treat our unfair boss at work, 
It even touches how we treat that difficult coworker. It touches how we parent, how we speak to our spouse. It, teach, it touches how we view our money, possessions, and homes, and how we use those things. There's not one area of our lives that is untouched. So may our divine appointment help us have this eternal perspective. Our second ultimate reality for meditation is the Christian's future reward. We can see this from the second half of our verse, which reads, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Apostle Paul touches on a truth here that is taught by Jesus in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. We read in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. There is also the parable in Matthew 25, where the Master reward those who were faithful over the talents that were entrusted to them. Now there are some who think that people like us are stuck in a corner as we hold to a salvation of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But I would argue that there's a perfect harmony between what we believe and this assessment that all of us will go through. It is not that our works earn us our salvation, but they testify that we are truly saved. As an apple tree bears apples, a true Christian bears fruit that testifies to the reality of who he is inwardly. This is why I started off the devotional with emphasizing the importance of having a Christ-centered perspective on that great day. If we believe that he loves us, we will love him by fearing him and obeying his commandments. If we believe that he died for us and that we are clothed with his righteousness, we will die to our sins and be slaves to righteousness. If we believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, inside of us as our guarantee, we will glorify God with our bodies. So those who are justified, which means to be declared and treated as righteous, based upon Christ's perfect righteousness being credited to, to them, will always produce good works as evidence of this reality. And the other way that we know that our works cannot earn us our salvation is that apart from Christ, our best works are like a filthy rag before him. The only reason that our good works are rewarded on that day is because of grace. As John Calvin, and I love this quote, commented on this verse, after he has received us into his favor, he receives our works also by gracious acceptance. It is on this that the reward hinges. My brothers and sisters, let us rejoice as it is all of grace, and this should be an encouragement and motivation to do as much good as possible. Even though our works may be imperfect, we can look to Christ, our Savior, who makes them acceptable as they are done in him. So my beloved elder, let this motivate you to please your master and serve, your ch and serve his church as all that you do matters. Every meeting with a church member, every one of your prayers, every one of your sermons, even though all of your feelings and emotions may rise up against you and tell you otherwise. Our beloved pastors, know that your good shepherd is not unjust to overlook your work. 
and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints of Grace Covenant Baptist Church. He will reward you and is willing, waiting to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. For my fellow church members, you also continue to please your master and serve his church. Whether you serve as a piano player, service leader, or usher, whether you help in the children's ministry or clean the church, there is a reward waiting for you. Serve with joy. Serve with humility. Serve with a desire to glorify your Lord, even if no one ever notices or even says thank you. Because if, even if no one notices, your Lord does, and he is pleased with it. And as we are all prone to pride, selfish ambition, or serving with a begrudging heart, let us be in constant prayer. Since our motives and intentions will be disclosed on that great day, we should ask him now, today, to disclose our hearts to us on a regular basis. We can pray of the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And as we strive together to do as much good as possible, let us never forget that our sufficiency comes from God and not ourselves. Earlier, we touched on the importance of having a Christ-centered perspective, but it's also vital to have a spirit-centered perspective when it comes to our good works. In the glorious promise of the new covenant, the Lord says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He is the one that enables and empowers us to do any good. Even when we are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are told that it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as we look to do good and look forward to our future rewards, let's remember that he is the source of our strength, and it is his aim to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have this perspective, we should be the humblest of servants, as we see that our future rewards are possible only because of the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. And if you are here, not particularly trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you are not exempt from having to stand before him. He is coming back to judge. And if you are not found in him, he will say to you and others, these will go away into eternal punishment. But this doesn't have to be the case. Today, today is the day of salvation, and he is ready for you to cast yourself upon his mercies. He alone perfectly obeyed the law of God. He alone paid the penalty for breaking the law that was due for sinners like you and me. He rose again from the dead and is reigning as the sovereign king over all creation. If you trust him and the good news that you heard today, you can have eternal life today and grow to have a great assurance when you stand before him on that day. So as we close... It is my hope that we can all look forward to our divine appointment and future reward with great expectation and motivation. It is also my hope that we will continue to fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is praying for us. He is working in us. And he will reward us for all the good that we have done. But most importantly, 
He desires that we see him as our greatest treasure on heaven and on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks and praise that you are our greatest treasure. We pray, Lord, that we would treasure you, that we would look to you more and more. We pray that you would help us, Lord, not to look towards that day of judgment, Lord, with fear or dread, but that we would look, look towards that day, Lord, with anticipation, Lord, with courage, knowing that we are in you, and that you are working in, in us, Lord, and that all the works that we do are by your Spirit, and they testify that you have saved us by your mercies. We do pray this all in your name. Amen.